Hyperfixation Nation, the podcast with your host, Blake. In this episode of Hyperfixation Nation, the podcast, we will discuss the impact that dogs have on human health. I will cover the impact on mental health and physical health, plus the science behind it all. I will also talk about my journey with this hyperfixation, how it differed from my other hyperfixations, and how I learned all of this information. First, an introduction of the impacts of doggos. A quick overview, one person can have different experiences with different hyperfixations. Dogs are absolutely amazing and cute, and they are scientifically proven to help human health, both physical and mental. And the main reason for all of this is because serotonin stabilizes moods. It also helps with digestion and motivation and social connections. There are other chemicals that help that I will also be talking about, but serotonin has the biggest impact. My journey with this hyperfixation and how I learned all this information. Okay, so I learned all this information because last year for school in language arts, we had to choose a researchable topic to write a 10 page paper and do an oral presentation on. And I absolutely love these cute little puppers and not so little cute little puppers. So I chose this as my topic. As you can imagine, I learned a lot about it and I thought this information was really interesting. So I wanted to share it. This hyperfixation was very different from all my other hyperfixations because it was an official project. Like I had to do it for school versus other ones are just, there's no due date, there's no pressure. It's like a low stakes thing. And I know this was a hyperfixation and not just a topic I was interested in because before I started the school project, I had written multiple CERs, which stand for Claim as Evidence Reasoning. They're papers we have to write in science about why I should get a dog. And I had filled up, I think, like two notebooks, two whole like composition notebooks with information. And I would go on walks with my parents just so I could talk to them about dogs and they couldn't leave me alone because, you know, we're in the middle of the woods or the park or something on a walk. And they didn't know that this was the whole motivation for the walk beforehand, which was good because then they might not have gone. There were a lot of factors that played into changing this hyperfixation once it did become a school project. So one of them is the anxiety of a due date. So we had a due date and there was a schedule we were supposed to have. And so that put pressure on it and made it like a high stakes thing because it was worth so much of my grade. So that made me less motivated to start it. And cause like executive dysfunction, like, oh my God, I have to do this giant thing or this giant mound of tasks or even something really small. Like I have to put the dishes away and my brain's like, no, I refuse. <laughs> but that really, did my research, I guess, because I wanted to do it, but I was so scared and like physically unable to start it. And then also other people in my class were a lot farther along or not as far along as I was, which means that either I felt behind or I felt like I was doing stuff I wasn't supposed to because I was going so far ahead or I didn't have enough information because they were still researching and I was already started writing. So there was a lot of craziness that went into the stress of the project that impacted my want to learn about it, but I was still so interested about it. So it just was a battle between the happy chemicals I got from researching it versus the anxiety of starting it. 
And then I also was very happy because once I got to the presentation part, you had to make a poster board. And so I could spend hours just looking at cute pictures of puppies for my poster. And I would claim I was doing homework. Sometimes I was, like actually researching and finished writing and stuff. But I also just got to look at cute pictures of puppies because it was related to my topic. And that was amazing because even puppies in pictures does benefits to the health because they're so freaking cute. Oh my God, they're just so cute, so cute, so cute. Anyways, <laughs> the serotonin I got from researching and doing all this and the dopamine from participating and like working on this hyperfixation was amazing and it made me more motivated to start it but then the anxiety and the pressure made me less motivated to work on it because I was like ah. so it was this whole battle between oh I spend hours and hours doing it versus I don't do it for two weeks so it was it was craziness <laughs> but because of it I learned all this cool information that I will now get into <laughs> on human mental health that dogs have. So, there are four categories of dogs I'll be talking about today. Regular pet dogs, so just ones you would adopt or buy that have only the basic level of training. Then we got therapy dogs, which have more training and can do more. Then we got emotional support animals, specifically dogs, because, you know, dogs are so cute and fluffy. <laughs> and they have no extra training, but they do get some special privileges. Then we have service dogs with a heck of a lot of training and that are able to go to any place a human can go. But, okay, first, the impact on human mental health that regular pet dogs have. So I briefly mentioned serotonin before, but serotonin has a whole bunch of impact on human health, both physical and mental, so it'll be in both categories. For now, we're gonna talk about how it stabilizes the mood. It's a chemical produced in your brain that goes to multiple different parts of your body, and it makes you feel happier. And it's also in your digestion system, which I'll talk about later. It triggers multiple other things. For example, it triggers an increased amount of melatonin produced. Melatonin is the chemical that helps you sleep. So sleeping with a dog, or pets in general, but specifically dogs, increased the length of your sleep and the quality of it. So you'll feel more rested even if you don't get quite as much. Then having a dog, no matter what the training level is, helps with mental illnesses like anxiety and depression and other ones caused by lowered serotonin in the brain. For example, depression is a lack of serotonin and dopamine produced in the brain that causes your mood to plummet and does some other physical things to you. So if you have a dog around which raises the serotonin in your brain, then you go from below normal levels to the normal levels. So someone who doesn't have this drop of serotonin will get a higher boost in their mood from a dog, but someone who does suffer from lowered serotonin would be at the normal level, which would feel like a big boost for them because they've been fighting through life with this lowered serotonin. And then with anxiety, it is essentially like a breath of fresh air. So I suffer from anxiety. And whenever I'm around a dog, so like I have allergies, so I can't own one, which is so sad and I'm so mad at genetics. But <laughs> the anxiety just like goes away when I'm with a dog because the dogs are so fluffy and so cute and they just like don't have a care in the world and 
they're like little babies that you get to take care of and cuddle with and then you can play games with them and it just it makes me feel so at peace which is the serotonin and dopamine produced by the brain which makes it sound less fun because it's not just like oh my god they're so cute and it's actual sciencey stuff but there's science behind everything so you know <laughs> but now we have therapy dogs so they have all those effects i talked about previously plus more so they produce an increase of oxytocin which is a chemical that makes someone more open to like trusting it's like the oh i trust you so having a therapy dog around can make someone who has issues with trusting people and is kind of closed off open up a little more because they're like this dog i can tell anything to and so maybe you know the world isn't ending which you know dogs do give me that feeling like oh everything's amazing because dogs are here it's amazing anyways <laughs> they're also great for people with physical impairments because uh, partly of this oxytocin but say there's a therapy dog who is missing a leg and they go to a patient who only has three limbs like is missing an arm for example and this dog is doing great and is happy and living its best life and so subconsciously it can give the human the feeling of whoa this this, this dog is doing amazing and I can do amazing, even though we are both missing a limb. And so it's like a feeling of like camaraderie, I guess. Oh, I sound so like old fashioned camaraderie. Hmm, I love that word. Anyway, they also have to get more training. And it depends, there are multiple different types of therapy dogs. So there's therapy dogs that are trained to work in hospitals, which have to be able to focus on the patient, even with the distractions all around of nurses coming in and out, the beeping of machines, and a lot of things like that that would make an untrained dog probably more of a harm because they're bouncing around or they're scared or they're like oh my god people everywhere so hospital dogs are great like that and then dogs that are trained for schools for example have to have similar training but they have to be more able to just sit in one place and just like sit with the person and recognize when a student needs help and all that which is the same with hospital dogs but it's a little different because it's a different situation. And then we have play assistant animals that are like, so I, I was once in a support group and we had therapy dogs, that was the whole point. And these dogs are specifically trained to be interactive and be fun and act like regular dogs, but not be quite as crazy as regular dogs and still listen to their owners, even with 5 million people around. Um, and this training helps because it makes the patient feel more at peace than with a dog that's going crazy and then they won't be worried that something bad will happen or something like that. Next, we have emotional support animals, but dogs specifically. All emotional support animals have no training or no extra training, they have regular training, but they get special privileges. So to get an emotional support animal, you have to have a doctor sign a note saying that one will be helpful for your mental state. People most commonly with emotional support animals are people with, for example, social anxiety, anxiety in general, depression, things like that. And they are allowed on planes and in apartments that would not usually allow pets. They're not usually allowed in hotels unless they are all pet friendly and grocery stores usually don't allow them. But they're legally mandated to allow service dogs, which are what I'm talking about next. But before that, I wanted to say that emotional support animals do more of an impact than just regular pets because they can go everywhere, which means someone who suffers 
a lot from a decrease of serotonin gets to have their pet with them all the time, which means not just when they're home they get help, but like when they're everywhere. Okay, now service dogs. Service dogs have to get a heck of a lot of training. They have 18 to 24 months of training. Like, think about that. Up to two years of training for a dog. Uh, <laughs> they are the most obedient of all types of trained dogs, and they are used for disabilities that cause a physical change. Someone with PTSD that has nightmares and or panic attacks from certain situations can get help from a service dog. These dogs can sense nightmares and wake up the human before it gets too bad. They can smell the changes before a panic attack and help calm the human down before it becomes debilitating, which is extremely helpful. And they also help people with anxiety disorders because, again, they can sense a panic attack before it comes. They can force a human to pet them, which releases the serotonin and calms down and makes the human feel more at peace and safer. Service dogs are allowed everywhere a human is because of the American Disability Act. The one exception to this is if someone has a medical reason like really bad allergies and say they are an Uber driver and they can't let a dog be in their car or else they will not be able to breathe or something then when someone says that hey I have a service dog just an FYI the Uber driver would be like, oh, I'm sorry, I cannot help you because of this medical reason, but it is against the law to just not notice. And then when you see that someone has a service dog that you're like, oh, just leave and like leave them stranded, like that's illegal. And then along with the 18 to 24 months of training, service dogs are especially fit for their human, which is like an hour per week. And the human is taught how to handle the dog with positive reinforcement instead of punishment, which helps the relationship and helps them bond. And the dog gets further training to make sure they fit the needs of the human perfectly. This is all extremely important so the dogs can do their best. But overall, all types of dogs are helpful. You should always, always have a dog around if you want good mental health. Which, you know, is not true because you can have mental health, good mental health without one. But I think that dogs are absolutely cute and the cutest things on earth. So, you know, get a dog. <laughs>
digestive system. It lines the edges of your digestion system and, and helps you digest your food, which means you get more nutrients from the food you're eating and you are less likely to have an upset stomach after you're eating it. So there's a reason dogs are always like, oh my God, give me food. They're not just hungry, they wanna help you. Uh-huh, totally. <laughs> Probably the main motivator for them is they want food, but you know, it's still helpful for you. And then exercise. This is a big one and probably one of the most common ones people think of, but ha exercising with a dog, because dogs need to walk, attaches the good feeling of the serotonin boost of being with your dog to the event of exercising. This means when someone thinks of exercising, they think of going out like maybe for a run or a walk with their dog and being with the dog makes their mood better. So it's a correlation of exercising makes your mood better. Exercising does make your mood better for different reason. It releases endorphins, but some people who need the extra motivation, like me, of walking the dog and things like that is great because then you're in better shape and your cardiovascular system is better. And then doggos, cute little puppers, oh my God, are great conversation starters and seeing people is good for the overall human health. Like one of the reasons People who don't have any neighbors, who have lost their family members, don't have great health, both mental and physical, is because they're not seeing as many other people. So if you have a dog and you're going out to walk and you see your neighbor and they're like, oh my God, cute dog, seeing other people is extremely important to the health of humans. And so without this, then the health goes down. <laughs>the increases of serotonin, dopamine, and oxytocin. Serotonin and dopamine improve your mood. Oxytocin makes you want to trust people. It stabilizes the mood, which means there's less downs and less really high ups, so you're feeling good all the time and you don't have that crash when the peak goes down. Then therapy dogs keep people calm in stressful situations, like hospitals and schools. Service dogs lessen the severity and frequency of anxiety and panic attacks. Then with physical health, you get more exercise, you sleep better, and you have better digestion. It's also a conversation starter to get you out and about with people, which improves your health, keeps people with physical disabilities safe. Next episode is me interviewing one of my friends about her hyperfixations and experiences, so you can get more than one point of view, because everybody's different. So stick around for more points of views about hyperfixations. Most of the information I got today was from articles inside of the Gale Opposing Viewpoints database. So check that out if you want to read some of those. And visiting that website will provide links to those articles. I hope you enjoyed the episode, learned something new, and had fun. This is Hyperfixation Nation, hosted by Blake. Goodbye, y'all.